0: Now that they've secured the inflammatory Goyles, the case should be cut and dried. Right? Dorothy Sayers, today on the Classic Tales Podcast. Welcome to the Classic Tales Podcast. Thank you for listening. The vintage episode for the week is To Build a Fire by Jack London. Be sure to check it out on Tuesday. If you've enjoyed the show, please become a monthly supporter and help us keep the lights on. Please go to ClassicTalesAudioBooks.com and become a monthly supporter for as little as $5 a month. As a thank you gesture, we'll send you a coupon code every month for $8 off any audiobook order. Give more and you get more. It's a great way to help us keep producing amazing audiobook content. Go to classictalesaudiobooks.com and become a supporter today. The Classic Tales Book Club is moving forward. We'll be posting details through our Facebook and Instagram accounts, so be sure to follow us there. And now, Clouds of Witness, Part 6 of 9, by Dorothy Sayers. Chapter 10. Nothing Abides at the noon. Alas, said hea, the sentiments which this person expressed with irreproachable honourableness, when the sun was high in the heavens and the probability of secretly leaving an undoubtedly well-appointed home was engagingly remote, seemed to have an entirely different significance when recalled by night in a damp orchard and on the eve of their fulfilment. The Wallet of Kai Lung and his short minute, afternoon, is night. Done. Goyles was interviewed the next day at the police station. Mr. Merbles was present, and Mary insisted on coming. The young man began by blustering a little, but the solicitor's dry manner made its impression. Lord Peter Whimsey identifies you, said Mr. Merbles, as the man who made a murderous attack upon him last night. With remarkable generosity, he is forborne to press the charge. Now we know further that you were present at Riddlesdale Lodge on the night when Captain Cathcart was shot. You will no doubt be called as a witness in the case, but you would greatly assist justice by making a statement to us now. This is a purely friendly and private interview, Mr. Goyles, as you see, no representative of the police is present. We simply ask for your help. I ought, however, to warn you that, whereas it is, of course, fully competent for you to refuse to answer any of our questions, a refusal might lay you open to the gravest imputations. In fact, said Goyles, it's a threat. If I don't tell you, you'll have me arrested on suspicion of murder. Dear me, no, Mr. Goyles. "'returned the solicitor. "'We should merely place what information we hold "'in the hands of the police, "'who would then act as they saw fit. "'God bless my soul, no, anything like a threat "'would be highly irregular. "'In the matter of the assault upon Lord Peter, "'his lordship will, of course, use his own discretion.' "'Well,' said Goyles, sullenly, "'it's a threat, call it what you like. "'However, I don't mind speaking.' "'especially as you'll be jolly well disappointed. "'I suppose you gave me away, Mary.' "'Mary flushed indignantly. "'My sister has been extraordinarily loyal to you, Mr. Goyles,' said Lord Peter. "'I may tell you indeed that she put herself into a position of grave personal inconvenience, "'not to say danger, on your behalf. "'You were traced to London in consequence of your having left unequivocal traces "'of your exceedingly hasty retreat.' "'When my sister accidentally opened a telegram addressed to me at Riddlesdale "'by my family name, she hurried immediately to town "'to shield you if she could, at any cost to herself. "'Fortunately, I had already received a duplicate wire at my flat. "'Even then I was not certain of your identity "'when I accidentally ran across you at the Soviet club. "'Your own energetic efforts, however, to avoid an interview, "'gave me complete certainty.' "'together with an excellent excuse for detaining you. "'In fact, I'm uncommonly obliged to you for your assistance.' "'Mr. Goyles looked resentful. "'I don't know how you could think, George,' said Mary. "'Never mind what I think,' said the young man roughly. "'I gather you've told them all about it now, anyhow. "'Well, I'll tell you my story as shortly as I can, "'and you'll see I know damn all about it. "'If you don't believe me, I can't help it.' "'I came along at about a quarter to three "'and parked the bus in the lane. "'Where were you at eleven-fifty? "'On the road from North Allerton. "'My meeting didn't finish until ten-forty-five. "'I can bring a hundred witnesses to prove it.' Whimsy made a note of the address "'where the meeting had been held "'and nodded to Goyles to proceed. "'I climbed over the wall "'and walked through the shrubbery. "'You saw no person and no body? "'Nobody, alive or dead.' Did you notice any blood or footprints on the path? No. I didn't like to use my torch for fear of being seen from the house. It was just light enough to see the path. I came to the door of the conservatory just before three. As I came up, I stumbled over something. I felt it, and it was like a body. I was alarmed. I thought it might be Mary, ill, or fainted or something. I ventured to turn on my light. Then I saw it was Cathcart, dead. "'You are sure he was dead?' "'Stone dead.' "'One moment,' interposed the solicitor. "'You say you saw that it was Cathcart. "'Had you known Cathcart previously?' "'No, never. "'I meant that I saw it was a dead man "'and learnt afterwards that it was Cathcart.' "'In fact, you do not now know of your own knowledge "'that it was Cathcart?' "'Yes. "'At least I recognised the photographs in the papers afterwards.' It is very necessary to be accurate in making a statement, Mr. Goyles. A remark such as you made just now might give a most unfortunate impression to the police or to a jury. So saying, Mr. Murbles blew his nose and resettled his pince-nez. What next? inquired Peter. I fancied I heard somebody coming up the path. I do not think it wise to be found there with a corpse. So I cleared out. Oh! said Peter, with an indescribable expression. That was a very simple solution. You left the girl you were going to marry to make for herself the unpleasant discovery that there was a dead man in the garden and that her gallant wooer had made tracks. What did you expect her to think? Well, I thought she'd keep quiet for her own sake. As a matter of fact, I didn't think very clearly about anything. I knew I'd broken in where I had no business and that if I was found with a murdered man, it might look jolly queer for me. "'In fact,' said Mr. Merbles, "'you lost your head, young man, "'and ran away in a very foolish and cowardly manner.' "'You needn't put it that way,' retorted Mr. Goyles. "'I was in a very awkward and stupid situation to start with.' "'Yes,' said Lord Peter, ironically. "'And three a.m. is a nasty, chilly time of day. "'Next time you arrange an elopement, "'make it for six o'clock in the evening "'or twelve o'clock at night.' "'You seem better at framing conspiracies than carrying them out. "'A little thing upsets your nerves, Mr. Goyles. "'I don't really think, you know, that a person of your temperament should carry firearms. "'What in the world, you blithering young ass, made you loose off that gun at me last night? "'You would have been in a damned awkward situation then, "'if you'd accidentally hit me in the head, or the heart, or anywhere that mattered.' If you're so frightened of a dead body, why go about shooting at people? Why? 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 That's what beats me. If you're telling the truth now, you never stood in the slightest danger, Lord. And to think of the time and trouble we've had to waste catching you, you ass. And poor old Mary, working away and half killing herself, because she thought at least you wouldn't have run away unless there was something to run from. You must make allowance for a nervous temperament. "'said Mary in a hard voice. "'If you knew what it felt like "'to be shadowed and followed and badgered,' "'began Mr. Goyles. "'But I thought you Soviet club people "'enjoyed being suspected of things,' "'said Lord Peter. "'Why, it ought to be the proudest moment in your life "'when you're really looked on as a dangerous fellow. "'It's the sneering of men like you,' "'said Goyles passionately. "that does more to breed hatred "'between class and class. "'Never mind about that.' "'interposed Mr. Murbles. "'The law's the law for everybody, "'and you have managed to put yourself "'in a very awkward position, young man.' "'He touched a bell on the table, "'and Parker entered with the constable. "'We shall be obliged to you,' said Mr. Murbles, "'if you will kindly have this young man "'kept under observation. "'We make no charge against him "'so long as he behaves himself, but he must not attempt to abscond "'before the Riddlesdale case comes up for trial.' "'Certainly not, sir,' said Mr. Parker. "'One moment,' said Mary. "'Mr. Goyles, here is the ring you gave me. Good-bye. When next you make a public speech calling for decisive action, I will come and applaud it. You speak so well about that sort of thing. But otherwise, I think we had better not meet again.' "'Of course,' said the young man bitterly. "'You people have forced me into this position, and you turn round and sneer at me too.' "'I didn't mind thinking you were a murderer,' said Lady Mary, spitefully. "'But I do mind your being such an ass!' "'Before Mr. Goyles could reply, Mr. Parker, bewildered but not wholly displeased, manoeuvred his charge out of the room. "'Mary walked over to the window and stood, biting her lips. "'Presently Lord Peter came across to her. "'I say, Polly, old Merbles has asked us to lunch. "'Would you like to come?' "'Sir Impey Biggs will be there. "'I don't want to meet him today. "'It's very kind of Mr. Merbles. "'Oh, come along, old thing. "'Biggs is some celebrity, you know, "'and perfectly topping to look at "'in a marbly kind of way. "'He'll tell you all about his canaries.' "'Mary giggled through her obstinate tears. "'It's perfectly sweet of you, Peter, "'to try and amuse the baby. "'But I can't. "'I'd make a fool of myself. "'I've been made enough of a fool for one day.' "'Bosh!' said Peter. "'Of course, Goyles didn't show up very well this morning, "'but then he was in an awfully difficult position. "'Do come!' "'I hope Lady Mary consents to adorn my bachelor establishment,' "'said the solicitor, coming up. "'I shall esteem it a very great honour. "'I really do not think I have entertained a lady in my chambers for twenty years. "'Dear me! twenty years, indeed, it must be. "'In that case?' "'said Lady Mary. "'I simply can't refuse.' "'Mr. Merble's inhabited "'a delightful old set of rooms "'in Staple Inn, "'with windows looking out "'upon the formal garden, "'with its odd little flower-beds "'and tinkling fountain. "'The chambers kept up to a miracle "'the old-fashioned law atmosphere, "'which hung about his own prim person. "'His dining-room was furnished "'in mahogany, "'with a turkey carpet "'and crimson curtains. "'On his sideboard,' "'stood some pieces of handsome Sheffield plate "'and a number of decanters with engraved silver labels round their necks. "'There was a bookcase full of large volumes bound in law-calf "'and an oil-painting of a harsh-featured judge over the mantelpiece. "'Lady Mary felt a sudden gratitude for this discreet and solid Victorianism. "'I fear we may have to wait a few moments for Sir Impey,' "'said Mr. Murbles, consulting his watch. He is engaged in Quangle and Hamper v. Truth, but they expect to be through this morning. In fact, Sir Impey fancied that midday would see the end of it. Brilliant man, Sir Impey. He is defending truth. Astonishing position for a lawyer, what? said Peter. The newspaper, said Mr. Murbles, acknowledging the pleasantry with a slight unbending of the lips, against these people who profess to cure fifty-nine different diseases with the same pill. Quangle and Hamper produced some of their patients in court to testify to the benefits they'd enjoyed from the cure. To hear Sir Impey handling them was an intellectual treat. His kindly manner goes a long way with old ladies. When he suggested that one of them should show her leg to the bench, the sensation in court was really phenomenal. "'And did she show it?' inquired Lord Peter. "'Panting for the opportunity, my dear Lord Peter, "'panting for the opportunity!' "'I wonder they had the nerve to call her.' "'Nerve?' said Mr. Murples. "'The nerve of men like Quangle and Hamper "'has not its fellow in the universe, "'to adopt the expression of the great Shakespeare. "'But Sir Impey is not the man to take liberties with. "'We are really extremely fortunate to have secured his help. "'Ah, I think I hear him.' "'A hurried footstep on the stair "'indeed announced learned counsel.' who burst in, still in wig and gown, and full of apology. "'Extremely sorry, Murbles, said Sir Impey. "'We became excessively tedious at the end, I regret to say. "'I really did my best, but dear old Dawson is getting as deaf as a post, you know, "'and terribly fumbling in his movements. "'And how are you, Whimsy? "'You look as if you've been in the wars. "'Can we bring an action for assault against anybody?' "'Much better than that.' "'put in Mr. Murbles. "'Attempted murder, if you please. "'Excellent, excellent,' said Sir Impey. "'Ah, but we've decided not to prosecute,' "'said Mr. Murbles, shaking his head. "'Really? "'Oh, my dear Whimsy, this will never do. "'Lawyers have to live, you know. "'Your sister? "'I hadn't the pleasure of meeting you at Riddlesdale, Lady Mary. "'I trust you are fully recovered? "'Entirely, thank you.' "'said Mary with emphasis. "'Mr. Parker, of course your name is very familiar. "'Whimsy here can't do a thing without you, I know. "'Mobles, are these gentlemen full of valuable information? "'I am immensely interested in this case. "'Not just this moment, though,' put in the solicitor. "'Indeed, no. "'Nothing but that excellent saddle of mutton "'has the slightest attraction for me just now. "'Forgive my greed.' "'Well, well,' said Mr. Murbles, beaming mildly. "'Let's make a start. "'I fear, my dear young people, I am old-fashioned enough "'not to have adopted the modern practice of cocktail drinking.' "'Quite right, too,' said Whimsy emphatically. "'Ruins the palate and spoils the digestion. "'Not an English custom. "'Rank sacrilege in this old inn. "'Came from America. "'Result, prohibition.' "'That's what happens to people who don't understand how to drink. "'God bless me, sir, why, you're giving us the famous claret. "'It's a sin so much as to mention a cocktail in its presence.' "'Yes,' said Mr. Merbles. "'Yes, that's the Lafitte Seventy-Five. "'It's very seldom, very seldom, I bring it out for anybody under fifty years of age. "'But you, Lord Peter, have a discrimination which would do honour to one of twice your years.' Thanks very much, sir. That's a testimonial I deeply appreciate. May I circulate the bottle, sir? Do, do. We will wait on ourselves, Simpson, thank you. After lunch, continued Mr. Murbles, I will ask you to try something very curious. An odd old client of mine died the other day and left me a dozen of forty seven port. Gad! said Peter. Forty seven? "'It'll hardly be drinkable, will it, sir?' "'I very greatly fear,' replied Mr. Murples, "'that it will not. "'A great pity. "'But I feel that some kind of homage "'should be paid to so notable an antiquity.' "'It would be something to say that one had tasted it,' said Peter. "'Like going to see the Divine Sarah, you know. "'Voice gone, bloom gone, savour gone, "'but still a classic.' "'Ah,' said Mr. Murples, "'I remember her and her great days. "'We old fellows have the compensation "'of some very wonderful memories.' "'Quite right, sir,' said Peter, "'and you'll pile up plenty more yet. "'But what was this old gentleman doing "'to let a vintage like that get past its prime?' "'Mr. Featherstone was a very singular man,' "'said Mr. Murbles. "'And yet I don't know. "'He may have been profoundly wise.' He had the reputation for extreme avarice, never bought a new suit, never took a holiday, never married, lived all his life in the same dark, narrow chambers he occupied as a briefless barrister, yet he inherited a huge income from his father, all of which he left to accumulate. The port was laid down by the old man who died in 1860, when my client was thirty-four. He, the son, I mean, was ninety-six when he deceased. He said no pleasure ever came up to the anticipation, so he lived like a hermit, doing nothing, but planning all the things he might have done. He wrote an elaborate diary, containing day by day the record of this visionary existence, which he had never dared to put to the test of actuality. The diary described minutely a blissful wedded life with the woman of his dreams. Every Christmas and Easter day, A bottle of the forty-seven was solemnly set upon his table, and solemnly removed, unopened, at the close of his frugal meal. An earnest Christian he anticipated great happiness after death, but, as you see, he put the pleasure off as long as possible. He died with the words, "'He is faithful that promised,' feeling to the end the need of assurance. "'A very singular man, very singular indeed,' far removed from the adventurous spirit of the present generation. How curious and pathetic, said Mary. Perhaps he had at some time set his heart on something unattainable, said Parker. Well, I don't know, said Mr. Murbles. People used to say that the dream lady had not always been a dream, but that he never could bring himself to propose. Ah, said Sir Impey briskly. The more I see and hear in the courts, the more I am inclined to feel that Mr. Featherstone chose the better part, and are determined to follow his example. In that respect, at any rate, hey, Sir Impey, replied Mr. Murbles with a mild chuckle. Mr. Parker glanced towards the window. It was beginning to rain. Truly enough, the 47 Port was a dead thing. The merest ghost of its old flame and flavour hung about it. "'Lord Peter held his glass poised a moment. "'It is like the taste of a passion that has passed its noon "'and turned to weariness,' he said, with sudden gravity. "'The only thing to do is to recognise bravely that it is dead "'and put it away.' "'With a determined movement he flung the remainder of the wine "'into the fire. "'The mocking smile came back to his face. "'What I like about Clive is that he is no longer alive.' there is a great deal to be said for being dead. What classic pith and brevity in those four lines! However, in the matter of this case, we have a good deal to tell you, sir. With the assistance of Parker, he laid before the two men of law the whole train of the investigation up to date, Lady Mary loyally coming up to the scratch with her version of the night's proceedings. In fact, you see, said Peter, this Mr. Goyles has lost a lot by not being a murderer. "'we feel he would have cut a fine, sinister figure "'as a midnight assassin. "'But things being as they are, you see, "'we must make what we can of him as a witness, what?' "'Well, Lord Peter,' said Mr. Murbles, slowly, "'I congratulate you and Mr. Parker "'on a great deal of industry and ingenuity "'in working the matter out. "'I think we may say we have made some progress,' "'said Parker. "'If only negatively,' added Peter. "'Exactly.' "'said Sir Impey, turning on him with staggering abruptness. "'Very negatively, indeed. "'And having seriously hampered the case for the defence, "'what are you going to do next?' "'That's a nice thing to say,' cried Peter indignantly. "'When we've cleared up such a lot of points for you—' "'I dare say,' said the barrister. "'But they're the sorts of points which are much better left muffled up. "'Damn it all! "'We want to get at the truth, do you?' "'said Sir Impey, dryly. "'I don't. "'I don't care tuppence about the truth. "'I want a case. "'It doesn't matter to me who killed Cathcart, "'provided I can prove it wasn't Denver. "'It's really enough if I can throw reasonable doubt "'on its being Denver. "'Here's a client, comes to me with a story of a quarrel, "'a suspicious revolver, "'a refusal to produce evidence of his statements, "'and a total inadequate and idiotic alibi.' I arranged to obfuscate the jury with mysterious footprints, a discrepancy as to the time, a young woman with a secret, and a general vague suggestion of something between a burglary and a crime passionnel. And here you come, explaining the footprints, exculpating the unknown man, abolishing the discrepancies, clearing up the motives of the young woman, and most carefully throwing back suspicion to where it rested in the first place. What do you expect?' I've always said, growled Peter, that the professional advocate was the most immoral fellow on the face of the earth, and now I know for certain. Well, well, said Mr. Murbles, all this just means that we mustn't rest upon our oars. You must go on, my dear boy, and get more evidence of a positive kind. If this Mr. Goyles did not kill Cathcart, we must be able to find the person who did." "'Anyhow,' said Biggs, "'there's one thing to be grateful for, "'and that is that you were still too unwell "'to go before the grand jury last Thursday, Lady Mary,' "'Lady Murray blushed, "'and the prosecution will be building their case "'on a shot fired at three a.m. "'Don't answer any questions if you can help it, "'and we'll spring it on them.' "'But will they believe anything she says at the trial after that?' "'asked Peter dubiously.' All the better if they don't. She'll be their witness. You'll get a nasty heckling, Lady Mary, but you mustn't mind that. It's all in the game. Just stick to your story and we'll deliver the goods. See? Sir Impey wagged a menacing finger. I see, said Mary, and I'll be heckled like anything. Just go on stubbornly saying I am telling the truth now. That's the idea, isn't it? Exactly so, said Biggs. By the way, Denver still refuses to explain his movements, I suppose. Categorically, replied the solicitor. The Whimsies are a very determined family, he added, and I fear that for the present it is useless to pursue that line of investigation. If we could discover the truth in some other way and confront the Duke with it, he might then be persuaded to add his confirmation. Well, now said Parker. We have, as it seems to me, still three lines to go upon. First, we must try to establish the Duke's alibi from external sources. Secondly, we can examine the evidence afresh with a view to finding the real murderer, and thirdly, the Paris police may give us some light upon Cathcart's past history. And I fancy I know where to go for information on the second point, said Whimsy suddenly. Grider's hole "'Phew!' Parker whistled. "'I was forgetting that. "'That's where that bloodthirsty farmer fellow lives, isn't it? "'Who set the dogs on you?' "'With the remarkable wife, yes. "'See here, how does this strike you? "'This fellow is ferociously jealous of his wife "'and inclined to suspect every man who comes near her. "'When I went up there that day "'and mentioned that a friend of mine "'might have been hanging about there the previous week, "'he got frightfully excited.' and threatened to have the fellow's blood. Seemed to know who I was referring to. Now, of course, with my mind full of number ten, Goyles, you know, I never thought but what he was the man. But supposing it was Cathcart. You see, we know now, Goyles hadn't even been in the neighbourhood till the Wednesday, so you wouldn't expect, what's-his-name, Grimethorpe, to know about him. But Cathcart might have wandered over to Grider's Hole any day, and been seen. And look here, "'Here's another thing that fits in. "'When I went up there, "'Mrs. Grimethorpe evidently mistook me "'for somebody she knew "'and hurried down to warn me off. "'Well, of course, I've been thinking all the time "'she must have seen my old cap and Burberry "'from the window and mistaken me for Goyles. "'But now I come to think of it, "'I told the kid who came to the door "'that I was from Riddlesdale Lodge. "'If the child told her mother, "'she must have thought it was Cathcart. "'No, no, Whimsy, that won't do.' Put in Parker She must have known Cathcart was dead by that time Oh, damn it, yes, I suppose she must Unless that surly old devil kept the news from her By Jove, that's just what he would do if he'd killed Cathcart himself He'd never say a word to her And I don't suppose he would let her look at a paper Even if they take one in It's a primitive sort of place But didn't you say Grimethorpe had an alibi? Yes, but we really didn't test it and how do you suppose he knew Cathcart was going to be in the thicket that night? Peter considered. Perhaps he sent for him, suggested Mary. That's right, that's right, cried Peter eagerly. You remember, we thought Cathcart must somehow or other have heard from Goyles, making an appointment. But suppose the message was from Grimthorpe, threatening to split on Cathcart to Jerry. You are suggesting, Lord Peter, said Mr. Murbles, in a tone calculated to chill Peter's blithe impetuosity, that at the very time Mr. Cathcart was betrothed to your sister, he was carrying on a disgraceful intrigue with a married woman, very much his social inferior. "'I beg your pardon, Polly,' said Whimsy. "'It's all right,' said Mary. "'I—' "'As a matter of fact, it wouldn't surprise me frightfully. "'Dennis was always—' "'I mean—' He had rather continental ideas about marriage and that sort of thing. I don't think he'd have thought that mattered very much. He'd probably have said there was a time and place for everything. One of those watertight compartment mines, said Whimsy thoughtfully. Mr. Parker, despite his long acquaintance with the seamy side of things in London, had his brows set in a gloomy frown of as fierce a provincial disapproval as ever came from barrow in If you can upset this Grimethorpe's alibi, said Sir Impey, fitting his right-hand fingertips neatly between the fingers of his left hand, we might have some sort of a case with it. What do you think, Murbles? After all, said the solicitor, Grimethorpe and the servant both admit that he, Grimethorpe, was not at Grider's Hole on Wednesday night. If he can't prove he was at Stapley, he may have been at Riddlesdale. By Jove! "'cried Whimsy. "'Driven off alone, "'stopped somewhere, "'left the G, "'sneaked back, "'met Cathcart, "'done him in, "'and toddled home next day "'with a tale about machinery. "'Or he may even have been to Stapley,' "'put in Parker. "'Left early or gone late, "'and put in the murder on the way. "'We shall have to check "'the precise times very carefully. "'Hooray!' cried Whimsy. "'I think I'll be getting back to Riddlesdale. "'I'd better stay here.' "'said Parker. "'There may be something from Paris. "'Right you are. "'Let me know the minute anything comes through. "'I say, old thing, yes. "'Does it occur to you "'that what's the matter with this case "'is that there are too many clues, "'dozens of people with secrets and elopements "'barging about all over the place? "'I hate you, Peter,' said Lady Mary. Chapter 11 Meriba. Oh ho my friend, you are gotten into Lobb's Pond. Jack, the Giant Killer Lord Peter broke his journey north at York, whither the Duke of Denver had been transferred after the Assizes, owing to the imminent closing down of the Northallerton jail. By dint of judicious persuasion, Peter contrived to obtain an interview with his brother. He found him looking ill at ease. And pulled down by the prison atmosphere, was still unquenchably defiant. Bad luck, old man, said Peter. But you're keeping your tail up fine. Beastly slow business all this legal stuff, what? But it gives us time, and that's all to the good. It's a confounded nuisance, said his grace. And I'd like to know what Merbles means, comes down and tries to bully me. Damned impudence. Anybody'd think he suspected me. Look here, Jerry. "'said his brother, earnestly. "'Why can't you let up on that alibi of yours? "'It'd help no end, you know. "'After all, if a fellow won't say what he's been doing—' "'It ain't my business to prove anything,' retorted his grace with dignity. "'They've got to show I was there, murdering the fellow. "'I'm not bound to say where I was. "'I'm presumed innocent, aren't I? "'Until they prove me guilty. "'I call it a disgrace. "'Here's a murder committed.' and they aren't taking the slightest trouble to find the real criminal. I give my word of honour to say nothing of an oath that I didn't kill Cathcart, though, mind you, the swine deserved it, but they pay no attention. Meanwhile, the real man's escaping at his confounded leisure. If I were only free, I'd make a fuss about it. Well, why the devil don't you cut it short, then? urged Peter. I don't mean here and now with me, with a glance at the warder within earshot, but to Merbles. "'Then we could get to work.' "'I wish you jolly well keep out of it,' grunted the Duke. "'Isn't it all damnable enough for Helen, poor girl, and mother, and everyone? "'Without you making it an opportunity to play Sherlock Holmes, "'I'd have thought you'd have had the decency to keep quiet for the family's sake. "'I may be in a damned rotten position, "'but I ain't making a public spectacle of myself by Jove.' "'Hell!' said Lord Peter, "'with such vehemence that the wooden-faced warder actually jumped.' It's you that's making the spectacle! It need never have started but for you! Do you think I like having my brother and sister dragged through the courts, and reporters swarming all over the place, and paragraphs and newsbills with your name staring at me from every corner, and all this ghastly business ending up in a great show in the House of Lords, with a lot of people togged up in scarlet and ermine, and all the rest of the damn fool jiggery pokery? People are beginning to look oddly at me in the club. "'and I can jolly well hear him whispering "'that Denver's attitude looks jolly fishy, Begad. "'Cut it out, Jerry!' "'Well, we're in for it now,' said his brother. "'And thank heaven there are still a few decent fellows "'left in the peerage "'who will know how to take a gentleman's word, "'even if my own brother can't see beyond his rotten legal evidence.' "'As they stared angrily at one another, "'that mysterious sympathy of the flesh, "'which we call family likeness, "'sprang out from its hiding place, "'stamping their totally dissimilar features "'with an elfish effect of mutual caricature. "'It was as though each saw himself in a distorting mirror, "'while the voices might have been one voice with its echo. "'Look here, old chap,' said Peter, recovering himself. "'I'm frightfully sorry. "'I didn't mean to let myself go like that. "'If you won't say anything, you won't. "'Anyway... "'We're all working like blazes, "'and we're sure to find the right man before very long.' "'You'd better leave it to the police,' said Denver. "'I know you like playing at detectives, "'but I do think you might draw the line somewhere.' "'That's a nasty one,' said Whimsy. "'But I don't look on this as a game, "'and I can't say I'll keep out of it "'because I know I'm doing valuable work. "'Still I can, honestly. "'I can.' See your point of view I'm jolly sorry you find me Such an irritating sort of person I suppose it's hard for you To believe I feel anything But I do And I'm going to get you out of this If Bunter and I both Perish in the attempt Well, so long That's the warder's just waking up To say time, gentlemen Chiro, old thing Good luck He rejoined Bunter outside Bunter? He said "'as they walked through the streets of the old city. "'Is my manner really offensive, "'when I don't mean it to be?' "'It is possible, my lord, "'if your lordship will excuse me saying so, "'that the liveliness of your lordship's manner "'may be misleading to persons of limited— "'be careful, Bunter— "'limited imagination, my lord.' "'Well-bred English people never have imagination, Bunter.' "'Certainly not, my lord. "'I meant nothing disparaging.' "'Well, Bunter—' "'Oh, Lord, there's a reporter. "'Hide me, quick! "'In here, my Lord.' "'Mr. Bunter whisked his master "'into the cool emptiness of the cathedral. "'I venture to suggest, my Lord,' "'he urged in a hurried whisper, "'that we adopt the attitude "'and external appearance of prayer, "'if your Lordship will excuse me.' "'Peeping through his fingers, "'Lord Peter saw a verger hastening towards them, "'rebuke depicted on his face. "'At that moment, however—' The reporter entered in headlong pursuit, tucking a notebook from his pocket. The verger leapt swiftly on his new prey. "'The window under which we stand,' he began in a reverential monotone, "'is called the Seven Sisters of York. They say—' Master and man stole quietly out. For his visit to the market-town of Stapley, Lord Peter attired himself in an aged Norfolk suit— stockings with sober tops, an ancient hat turned down all round, stout shoes, and carried a heavy ash plant. It was with great regret that he abandoned his favourite stick, a handsome malacca, marked off in inches for detective convenience, and concealing a sword in its belly and a compass in its head. He decided, however, that it would prejudice the natives against him, as having a town-bred, not to say supercilious, air about it, the sequel to this commendable devotion to his art forcibly illustrated the truth of Gertrude Reed's observation All this self sacrifice is a sad mistake. The little town was sleepy enough as he drove into it in one of the Riddlesdale dog carts, Bunter beside him, and the undergardener on the back seat. For choice he would have come on a market day in the hope of meeting Grimethorpe himself, but things were moving fast now, and he dared not lose a day was a raw, cold morning, inclined to rain. Which is the best inn to put up at, Wilkes? There's the Bricklayers Arms, my lord, a fine, well-thought-of place. Or the Bridge of Bottle is a square, or the Rose and Crown, on the other side of the square. Where do the folks usually put up on market days? Maybe Rose and Crown is most popular, so to say. Tim Walsh it, the Landlord is rare gossip. "'Now, Greg Smith, "'or at way, "'at Bridge and Bottle, "'he's no but grimly, "'surly man, "'but he keeps good drink.' "'Hm. "'I fancy, Bunter, "'our man will be "'more attracted by surliness "'and good drink "'than by a genial host. "'The Bridge and Bottle "'for us, I fancy, "'and if we draw blank there, "'we'll toddle over "'to the Rosen Crown "'and pump the garrulous "'watch it.' "'Accordingly, "'they turned into the yard "'of a large, "'stony-faced house.' whose long unpainted sign bore the dim outline of a bridge embattled, which local etymology had, by a natural association of ideas, transmogrified into the bridge and bottle. To the grumpy ostler who took the horse, Peter, with his most companionable manner, addressed himself. "'Nasty raw morning, isn't it?' (laughs) "'Give him a good feed. I may be here some time.' Not many people about today, what? Yeah. But I expect you're busy enough market days. Yeah. People come in from a long way round, I suppose. Go up, said the ostler. The horse walked three steps forward. Whoa, said the ostler. The horse stopped, with his shafts free of the tugs. The man lowered the shafts to grate viciously on the gravel. Go on up, said the ostler. "'and walked calmly off into the stable, "'leaving the affable Lord Peter "'as thoroughly snubbed "'as that young sprig of the nobility "'had ever found himself. "'I am more and more convinced,' "'said his lordship, "'that this is Farmer Grimethorpe's "'usual house of call. "'Let's try the bar. "'Wilkes, I shan't want you for a bit. "'Get yourself lunch, if necessary. "'I don't know how long we shall be.' "'Very good, my lord.' "'In the bar of the Bridge and Bottle,' they found Mr. Greg Smith gloomily checking a long invoice. Lord Peter ordered drinks for Bunter and himself. The landlord appeared to resent this as a liberty, and jerked his head towards the barmaid. It was only right and proper that Bunter, after respectfully returning thanks to his master for his half-pint, should fall into conversation with the girl, while Lord Peter paid his respects to Mr. Smith. "'Ah,' said his lordship, "'good stuff, that, Mr. Smith.' "'I was told to come here for real good beer, "'and by Jove I've been sent to the right place.' Uh, said Mr. Smith. "'It isn't what it was. "'No, it's good these times.' "'Well, I don't want better. "'By the way, is Mr. Grimethorpe here today?' "'Eh?' "'Is Mr. Grimethorpe in Stapley this morning, do you know?' "'How I know?' "'I thought he always put up here.' "'Ah!' "'Perhaps I mistook the name, "'but I fancied he'd be the man to go where the best beer is.' "'Eh?' Oh well, if you haven't seen him, I don't suppose he's come over today. Come where? Into Stapley.' Don't he live here? He can go and come without my knowing. Oh, of course. Whimsy staggered under the shock, and then grasped the misunderstanding. I don't mean Mr Grimethorpe of Stapley, but Mr Grimethorpe of Grider's Hole. Why didn't I say so? Oh him? Hey. He's here today? Nay. I know not about him. "'It comes in on market days, I expect.' "'Sometimes.' "'It's a longish way. "'One can put up for the night, I suppose.' "'Does I want to stay the night?' "'Well, no, I don't think so. "'I was thinking about my friend Mr. Grimethorpe. "'I dare say he often has to stay the night.' "'Happen it does.' "'Doesn't he stay here, then?' "'Nay.' "'Oh,' said Whimsy, and thought impatiently. "'If all these natives are as oyster-like, "'I shall have to stay the night.' "'Well, well,' he added aloud. "'Next time he drops in, say I asked after him.' "'And who might that be?' inquired Mr. Smith in a hostile manner. "'Oh, only Brooks of Sheffield,' said Lord Peter, with a happy grin. "'Good morning. I won't forget to recommend your beer.' Mr. Smith grunted. Lord Peter strolled slowly out, and before long Mr. Bunter joined him, coming out of the brisk step and the lingering remains of what, in anyone else, might have been taken for a smirk. Well, inquired his lordship, I hope the young lady was more communicative than that fellow. I found the young person snubbed again, muttered Lord Peter. Perfectly amiable, my lord, but unhappily ill informed. Mr Grimethorpe is not unknown to her, but he does not stay here. She has sometimes seen him in company with a man called Zedekiah Bone. Well said his lordship. Suppose you look for bone and come and report progress to me in a couple of hours' time. I'll try the rose and crown. We will meet at noon under that thing. That thing was a tall erection in pink granite, neatly tooled to represent a craggy rock, and guarded by two petrified infantrymen in trench helmets. A thin stream of water gushed from a bronze knob halfway up. A roll of honour was engraved on the octagonal base and four gas-lamps on cast-iron standards put the finishing touch to a very monument of incongruity. Mr. Bunter looked carefully at it, to be sure of recognising it again, and moved respectfully away. Lord Peter walked ten brisk steps in the direction of the Rosen Crown, then a thought struck him. "'Bunter!' Mr. Bunter hurried back to his side. "'Oh, nothing,' said his lordship. "'Only I've just thought of a name for it.' "'For that memorial,' said Lord Peter. "'I choose to call it Meribah.' "'Yes, my lord, the waters of strife. "'Exceedingly apt, my lord. "'Nothing harmonious about it, if I may say so. "'Will there be anything further, my lord? "'No, that's all.' "'Mr. Timothy Watchett, of the Rose and Crown, "'was certainly a contrast to Mr. Greg Smith. "'He was a small, spare, sharp-eyed man of about fifty-five, "'with so twinkling and humorous an eye "'and so alert a cock of the head "'that Lord Peter summed up his origin "'the moment he set eyes on him. "'Morning, landlord,' he said genially. "'And when did you last see Piccadilly Circus?' "'Hard to say, sir. Getting on for thirty-five year, I reckon. "'Man the time I said to my wife, Liz. "'I'll take you to see the old-born empire before I die. "'But with one thing or another, time slips away. "'One day so like another.' "'Blowed if I ever remember how old I'm getting, sir.' "'Oh, well, you've lots of time yet,' said Lord Peter. "'I hope so, sir. "'I ain't never what you may call got used to these northerners. That's slow they are, sir. "'If they give me the oomp when I first come, "'and the way they speak, that took some getting used to. "'Call that English, I used to say. "'Give me the cheese in the Chanticleer restaurant, I says. "'But there, sir, customs everything. "'Blowed if I didn't catch myself saying—' "'Yon side the square, the other day. "'Me!' "'I don't think there's much fear of your turning into a Yorkshire man,' said Lord Peter. "'Didn't I know you the minute I set eyes on you? "'In Mr. Watchett's Bar I said to myself, "'My foot is on my native paving stones.' "'That's right, sir. "'And being there, sir, what can I have the pleasure of offering you? "'Excuse me, sir, but haven't I seen your face somewhere?' "'I don't think so,' said Peter.' "'but that reminds me, "'do you know one Mr. Grimethorpe?' "'I know five Mr. Grimethorpes. "'Which of them was you meaning, sir?' "'Mr. Grimethorpe of Grider's Hole.' "'The landlord's cheerful face darkened. "'Friend of yours, sir?' "'Not exactly. "'An acquaintance.' "'There now!' cried Mr. Watchet, "'smacking his hand down upon the counter. "'I knowed as I knowed your face. "'Don't you live over at Riddlesdale, sir? "'I'm staying there. "'I knowed it!' retorted Mr. Watchit triumphantly. He dived behind the counter and brought up a bundle of newspapers, turning over the sheets excitedly with a well-licked thumb. There, Riddlesdale, that's it, of course. He smacked open a daily mirror of a fortnight or so ago. The front page bore a heavy block headline, The Riddlesdale Mystery, and beneath was a lifelike snapshot entitled Lord Peter Whimsey, The Sherlock Holmes of the West End, "'who is devoting all his time and energies "'to proving the innocence of his brother, "'the Duke of Denver. "'Mr. Watchit gloated. "'You will not mind me saying how proud I am "'to have you in my bar, my lord? "'Here, yeah, Jem, you attend to them gentlemen. "'Don't you see they're waiting? "'Followed all your cases, I have, my lord, "'in the papers, just like a book they are. "'And to think—' "'Look here, old thing,' said Lord Peter. "'Do you mind not talking quite so loud?' "'Seeing dear old Felix is out of the bag, so to speak, "'do you think you could give me some information "'and keep your mouth shut, Walt?' "'Come behind into the bar-parlour, my lord. "'Nobody will hear us there,' said Mr. Watchit, eagerly, "'lifting up the flap. "'Jem, here, bring a bottle of what "'Will he have, my lord?' "'But I don't know how many places I may have to visit,' "'said his lordship dubiously. "'Jem, bring a quart of the old ale. "'It's special, that's what it is, my lord.' "'I ain't never found none like it, "'except it might be once at Oxford. "'Thanks, Jem. "'Now you get along sharp and attend to the customers. "'Now, my lord.' "'Mr. Watchet's information amounted to this. "'That Mr. Grimethorpe used to come to the Rose and Crown pretty often, "'especially on market days. "'About ten previously he had come in lateish, "'very drunk and quarrelsome, with his wife, "'who seemed, as usual, terrified of him.' Grimethorpe had demanded spirits, but Mr. Watchet had refused to serve him. There had been a row, and Mrs. Grimethorpe had endeavoured to get her husband away. Grimethorpe had promptly knocked her down, with epithets reflecting upon her virtue, and Mr. Watchet had at once called upon the potman to turn Grimethorpe out, refusing to have him in the house again. He had heard it said on all sides that Grimethorpe's temper, always notoriously bad, "'had become positively diabolical of late. "'Could you hazard, so to speak, "'a calculation as to how long, or since when?' "'Well, my lord, come to think of it, "'especially since the middle of last month, "'perhaps a bit earlier. "'Hmm. "'Not that I'd go for it to insinuate anything, "'nor your lordship neither, of course,' "'said Mr. Watchet quickly. "'Certainly not,' said Lord Peter. "'What about?' "'Ah,' said Mr. Watchet, "'There it is. What about?' "'Tell me,' said Lord Peter, "'do you recollect Grimethorpe coming into Stapley on October 13th? "'A Wednesday it was.' "'That would be the day of the—' "'Ah, to be sure. "'Yes, I do recollect it, "'for I remember thinking it was odd him coming here, "'except on market day. "'Said he had a look at some machinery, drills and such, that's right. "'He was here right enough.' "'Do you remember what time he came in?' Well now, I've a fancy he was here to lunch. The waitress didn't know. Here, bet. He called through the side door. Jabber Do to recollect whether Mister Grimethorpe lunched here October the thirteenth, Wednesday it were, the date a poor gent was murdered over at Riddlesdale. had cried us so, said the girl, a well-grown young Yorkshire woman. Yes, he took lunch and come back to sleep. I'm not mistook for how I waited on him and took up his water in the morning. "'and he only give me choppins. "'Monstrous,' said Lord Peter. "'Look here, Miss Elizabeth, "'you're sure it was the thirteenth? "'Because I've got a bet on it with a friend, "'and I don't want to lose the money if I can help it. "'You're positive it was Wednesday night he slept here. "'I could have sworn it was Thursday.' "'Nay, sir, Wednesday, "'for I remember the man talking about murder in the bar "'and telling Mr. Grimethorpe next day.' "'Sounds conclusive. "'What did Mr. Grimethorpe say about it?' "'There yeah, now,' cried the young woman. Tis queer you should ask that. "'Everyone noticed how strange he acted. "'He turned all white like a sheet "'and looked at both his hands one after the other. "'And then he pushes his hair off his forehead dazed like "'We reckon he hadn't got over the drink. "'He's more often drunk than not. "'I wouldn't be his wife for five hundred pounds.' "'I should think not,' said Peter. "'You can do a lot better than that. "'Well, I suppose I've lost my money then.' "'By the way, what time did Mr. Grimethorpe come into bed?' "'Close on two in the morning,' said the girl, tossing her head. "'They were locked out, and jem had to go down letting in.' "'That's so,' said Peter. "'Well, I might try to get out on a technicality, eh, Mr. Watchett? Two o'clock is Thursday, isn't it? "'I'll work that for all it's worth. "'Thanks, frightfully. "'That's all I want to know.' Bet grinned and giggled herself away. "'Comparing the generosity of the strange gentleman,' with the stinginess of Mr. Grimethorpe. Peter rose. "'I'm no end obliged, Mr. Watchit,' he said. "'I'll just have a word with Jem. Don't say anything, by the way.' "'Not me,' said Mr. Watchit. "'I know what's what. Good luck, my lord.' Jem corroborated Bet. Grimethorpe had returned at about 1.50 a.m. on October 14th, drunk and plastered with mud. He had muttered something about having run up against a man called Watson— Ostler was next interrogated. He did not think that anybody could get a horse and trap out of the stable at night without his knowing it. He knew Watson. He was a carrier by trade, and lived in Winden Street. Lord Peter rewarded his informant suitably, and set out for Winden Street. But the recital of his quest would be tedious. At a quarter-past noon he joined Bunter at the Meribur Memorial. Any luck? I have secured certain information, my lord, which I have duly noted. Total expenditure on beer for self and witnesses, seven shillings, tuppence, my lord. Lord Peter paid the seven shillings, tuppence, without a word, and they adjourned to the Rose and Crown. Being accommodated in a private parlour, and having ordered lunch, they proceeded to draw up the following schedule Granthorpe's Movements, Wednesday, October 13th, to Thursday, October 14th. October 13th, 12.30 p.m., arrives Rose and Crown. One o'clock p.m., lunches. Three o'clock. Orders two drills from a man called Gooch in Trimmers Lane. Four-thirty p.m., drink with Gooch to clinch the bargain. Five o'clock p.m., calls at House of John Watson, carrier, about delivering some dog food. Watson absent. Mrs. Watson says Watson expected back that night. Grimethorpe says we'll call again. Five-thirty. Calls on Mark Dalby, grocer, to complain about some tinned salmon five hundred forty five. Calls on Mr Hewitt, optician to pay bill for spectacles and dispute the amount. six o'clock. Drinks with Zedekiah Bone at Bridge and Bottle. six hundred forty five. Calls again on Mrs. Watson, Watson not yet home. Seven o'clock PM seen by Constable Z fifteen drinking with several men at Pig and Whistle. Heard to use threatening language with regard to some person unknown seven hundred twenty. Seen to leave Pig and Whistle with two men not yet identified. October fourteenth, one fifteen a.m. Picked up by Watson Carrier about a mile out on road to Riddlesdale. Very dirty and ill-tempered and not quite sober. One forty-five a.m. Led into Rosen Crown by James Johnson Potman. Nine o'clock a.m. Called by Elizabeth Dobbin. Nine thirty a.m. In bar of Rosen Crown of man murdered at Riddlesdale, behaves suspiciously. ten fifteen AM Cash's check for one hundred twenty nine pounds seventeen shillings eightpence at Lloyd's Bank. ten thirty AM Pays Gooch for drills. eleven fifty AM Leaves Rosencrown for Grider's Hole. Lord Peter looked at this for a few minutes, and put his finger on the great gap of six hours after seven twenty. How far to Riddlesdale Bunter? about thirteen and three-quarter miles, my lord. And the shot was heard at ten-fifty-five. It couldn't be done on foot. Did Watson explain why he didn't get back from his round till two in the morning? Yes, my lord. He says he reckons to be back about eleven, but his horse cast a shoe between Kings Fenton and Riddlesdale. He had to walk him quietly into Riddlesdale about three and a half miles, getting there about ten, and knock up the blacksmith. "'He turned into the Lord in Glory till closing time, "'and then went home with a friend and had a few more. "'At twelve-forty he started off home "'and picked Grimethorpe up a mile or so out near the crossroads. "'Sounds circumstantial. "'The blacksmith and the friend ought to be able to substantiate it, "'but we simply must find those men at the Pig and Whistle. "'Yes, my lord, I will try again after lunch.' "'It was a good lunch.' but that seemed to exhaust their luck for the day, for by three o'clock the men had not been identified and the scent seemed cold. Wilkes, the groom, however, had his own contribution to the inquiry. He had met a man from King's Fenton at lunch, and they had naturally got to talking over the mysterious murder at the lodge, and the man had said that he knew an old man living in a hut on the fell, who said that on the night of the murder he'd seen a man walking over Wemmerling Fell in the middle of the night, and it come to me all of a sudden, it might be his grace,' said Wilkes brightly. Further inquiries elicited that the old man's name was Groot, and that Wilkes could easily drop Lord Peter and Bunter at the beginning of the sheep-path which led up to his hut. Now, had Lord Peter taken his brother's advice, and paid more attention to English country sports than to incannabula and criminals in London, or had Bunter been brought up on the moors, rather than in a Kentish village, or had Wilkes, who was a Yorkshire man, bred and born, and ought to have known better, not been so outrageously puffed up with a sense of his own importance in suggesting a clue, and with impatience to have that clue followed up without delay, or had any one of the three exercised common sense, this preposterous suggestion would never have been made, much less carried out on a November day in the North Riding. As it was, however, Lord Peter and Bunter Left the trap at the foot of the moor path at ten minutes to four, and dismissing Wilkes, climbed steadily up to the wee hut on the edge of the fell. The old man was extremely deaf, and after half an hour of interrogation, the story did not amount to much. On a night in October, which he thought might be the night of the murder, he had been sitting by his peat fire, when, about midnight, as he guessed, A tall man had loomed up out of the darkness. He spoke like a southerner, and said he had got lost on the moor. Old Groot had come to his door, and pointed out the track down towards Riddlesdale. The stranger had then vanished, leaving a shilling in his hand. He could not describe the stranger's dress more particularly than that he wore a soft hat and an overcoat, and he thought leggings. He was pretty near sure it was the night of the murder because afterwards he had turned it over in his mind and made out that it might have been one of yon folk at the lodge, possibly the duke. He had only arrived at this result by a slow process of thought, and had not come forward, not knowing whom or where to come to. With this the inquirers had to be content, and presenting Groot with half a crown, they emerged upon the moor at something after five o'clock. Bunter, said Lord Peter through the dusk, I am absolutely positive that the answer to all this business is at Grider's Hole. Very possible, my lord. Lord Peter extended his finger in a southeasterly direction. That is Grider's Hole, he said. Let's go. Very good, my lord. So, like two Cockney innocents, Lord Peter and Bunter set forth at a brisk pace down the narrow moor track towards Grider's Hole. "'with never a glance behind them "'for the great white menace "'rolling silently down "'through the November dusk "'from the wide loneliness "'of Wemmeling Fell. "'Bunter! "'Here, my lord.' "'The voice was close at his ear. "'Thank God! "'I thought you disappeared for good. "'I say we ought to have known.' "'Yes, my lord.' "'It had come on them from behind, "'in a single stride, "'thick, cold, choking, "'blotting each from the other.' "'though they were only a yard or two apart. "'I'm a fool, Bunter,' said Lord Peter. "'Not at all, my lord. "'Don't move. "'Go on speaking.' "'Yes, my lord.' "'Peter groped to the right "'and clutched the other's sleeve. "'Ah! "'Now what are we to do?' "'I couldn't say, my lord, having no experience. "'Has the, er uh, phenomenon any habits, my lord?' "'No regular habits, I believe. "'Sometimes it moves. "'Other times it stays in one place for days. "'We can wait all night and see if it lifts at daybreak.' "'Yes, my lord, it is unhappily somewhat damp.' "'Somewhat, as you say,' agreed his lordship with a short laugh. Bunter sneezed and begged pardon politely. "'If we go on going south said his lordship, "'we shall get to Grider's Hole all right, "'and they'll jolly well have to put us up for the night, "'or give us an escort. "'I've got my torch in my pocket, and we can go by compass. "'Oh, hell, my lord, I've got the wrong stick.' this beastly ash, no compass bunter. We are done in. Couldn't we keep going on downhill, my lord? Lord Peter hesitated. Recollections of what he had heard and read surged up in his mind to tell him that uphill or downhill seems much the same thing in a fog. But man walks in a vain shadow. It is hard to believe that one is really helpless. The cold was icy. We might try, he said weakly. "'I have heard it said, my lord, "'that in a fog one always walked round in a circle,' "'said Mr. Bunter, seized with a tardy diffidence. "'Not on a slope, surely,' said Lord Peter, "'beginning to feel bold out of sheer contrariness. "'Bunter, being out of his element, "'had for once no good counsel to offer. "'Well, we can't be much worse off than we are,' "'said Lord Peter. "'We'll try it and keep on shouting.' "'He grasped Bunter's hand.' and they strode gingerly forward into the thick coldness of the fog. How long that nightmare lasted neither could have said. The world might have died about them. Their own shouts terrified them. When they stopped shouting, the dead silence was more terrifying still. They stumbled over tufts of thick heather. It was amazing how, deprived of sight, they exaggerated the inequalities of the ground. It was with very little confidence they could distinguish uphill from downhill. They were shrammed through with cold, yet the sweat was running from their faces with strain and terror. Suddenly, from directly before them, as it seemed, and only a few yards away, there rose a long, horrible shriek, and another, and another! My God, what's that? It's a horse, my lord. Of course! They remembered having heard horses scream like that. There had been a burning stable near hay. Poor devil, said Peter. He started off impulsively in the direction of the sound, dropping Bunter's hand. Come back, my lord, cried the man in a sudden agony, and then with a frightened burst of enlightenment, For God's sake, stop, my lord, the bog! A sharp shout in the utter blackness, Keep away there, don't move, it's got me, and a dreadful sucking noise. This is B.J. Harrison. I hope you've enjoyed this unabridged production of Clouds of Witness, Part 6 of 9, by Dorothy Sayers. If you've enjoyed this episode, please become a supporter by going to classictalesaudiobooks.com. Donate $5 a month and get a monthly coupon code for $8 off any audiobook order. Thanks for pitching in. Thank you for joining me today and allowing classic literature to awaken your better self. Please join me next time, and we'll rediscover the greatest stories ever put to paper.